My message today is entitled, Lost Opportunity. I believe it's a very powerful message that I think if you're ready to receive from God, God can touch you in a powerful way today. For millions of sports fans across the state of Michigan and beyond, this past season has been exhilarating as a Detroit Lions fan. I don't know if I've ever said that before in my life. <laughs> but the Lions finally became a dominant and victorious team, winning their division against all odds, making the playoffs, winning two playoff games, and competing in the NFC Championship. They became... America's team, imagine that. Kicked out the Cowboys. Detroit Lions are now, not just saying as a Michigander that's all over the country, they became America's team after their coach and their players captured the heart of this country and rode a wave of momentum week after week. It was a Cinderella story that brought so much hope and pride to the city of Detroit. And to every die-hard Lions fan, myself included, who had followed them hopelessly throughout their whole lives. But as time ticked away a couple weeks ago, leaving them one game, a few points short of making it to the Super Bowl, even their beloved coach, Dan Campbell, didn't know how to respond to this gut punch of this lost opportunity. In fact, many were stunned and critical of him when he did an interview shortly after the loss, and he, he admitted that he told his team, this might have been our only shot. That's how devastated he was feeling that things were going their way and they were so close, and then they blew it. And even though he has since shared that that was his pain talking, that was his disappointment speaking, my guess is that you can relate to that feeling for disappointments that you have faced as well. I had a chance and I blew it. There are times in life when we pray for an opportunity. And the time comes, but we freeze up. We don't take advantage of it. Or we let the moment pass by like we're waiting for something just a little bit bigger. It happens to all of us. Maybe we're praying for an opportunity to share our faith with someone. And we get a little opening. But for whatever reason, we blow it. We fail to walk through a seemingly open door that God has made available to us. Maybe we're looking for a bigger sign. Maybe we're just not sure if this is the right time. Maybe we're too afraid to begin. Or we don't know what to say. But then, the time passes. And the further we get away from that moment, that opportunity, that open door for us, the more we believe that we lost the best chance that we had. Can anybody relate to this? 
I mean, do you know what it's like to wait and to pray for an opportunity in your life, but then you just blow it when the opportunity comes? It's a devastating feeling. We begin to doubt ourselves. We begin to doubt our faith, our calling. Maybe we even doubt that God can or even wants to use us in the future if we didn't walk through that door that He opened for us. My guess is that if you've been a Christian long enough and have prayed for opportunities to present themselves to you, then you no doubt have missed these opportunities as well. It's a crushing feeling. But does that mean that God is done with us? Can God even redeem a situation where we have seemed to give up on it because we're stuck in shame or guilt or whatever? I'm here to tell you today that not only can and does God redeem these seeming lost opportunities, but oftentimes, and here's the rest of the story, there's a reason why oftentimes that we didn't capitalize on the opportunity for ourselves. And that's it's not because of a failure on our part always. Sometimes out of the infinite wisdom of God, God actually closes the door before we can walk through it because He knows that there are still aspects that have to unfold before that person is ready for a God moment. Today I want to talk to you about one of these amazing moments where God turned what looked like a lost opportunity into a story of redemption and show you how God works behind the scenes and knits storylines together and miraculously reverses courses of action even when we can't see Him moving and even when we think God is doing nothing. Today I want to talk to you about the amazing story of Esther and how God used her to bring encouragement and delivery and hope to her people. Not just many years ago, but even still today. I believe for some of you this is a prophetic message from God that you need to hear this day. So to piggyback off the teachings of one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, I believe this message is poignant for today. In fact, if you've ever felt like you've blown a God-given opportunity, then let today's lesson encourage you to keep your eyes on Him and keep trusting Him and knowing that God is not finished with you or your situation yet. As we look at the book of Esther, I want you to understand this, that many people don't realize this, but does anyone know how Esther is different than any other book in the Bible? In the book of Esther... It's the only book that does not mention God by His name. But His fingerprints are all over the book. The book of Esther is a book in the Old Testament about Esther. So I'm going to give you a little background so we don't have to read the whole chapter. Read some background. and Some of you are familiar with the story. The book of Esther is a book in the Old Testament about Esther who was a young and beautiful Jewish woman living in the Persian diaspora. What that is, is after the King Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews out of Jerusalem and put them into captivity in Babylon, 
the Jews were scattered or dispersed all over the place. So they're living, all these Jews are living in a foreign land where they're working as slaves. They're working as living in poverty because they were taken away from their home because they were unfaithful to God. God allowed them to be taken away for a time. So Esther is this beautiful, young, virgin woman living in this area in a foreign land under a foreign king. Historically, it took place a few hundred years before Christ's birth. To give a basic summary of Esther's plight, she was a beautiful young virgin who found favor with the king. The king got mad at his wife who wouldn't come out during a party, and so he got rid of her. I need a new wife. I need a new queen. And so he decided to have a beauty pageant, and, and he's, he wants all the fair maidens to come forward, and, and he's going to pick the best one after several things, and it turns out that Esther finds favor with them because of her beauty, even though she's Jewish and he's not, but she's in a foreign land. And so she, she finds favor with the king. While the rest of her people are still living in poverty, she's living in the castle. Well, her people find themselves that they are doomed for destruction. But some things that happened, the people that work around the king, are, they want to get rid of all the, the Jews. So there's an order that goes out that all the people are going to die. All the Jews are going to die. But the king doesn't know that Esther is Jewish. So he signs this thing, yes, let's get rid of them. They don't believe what we believe. Let's get rid of them. The people are doomed for destruction because of an evil court official whose name is Haman that we're going to talk about today. Haman's the one that headed up these orders to get rid of all the Jews. You see, Haman was offended at Esther's cousin Mordecai. Mordecai refused to bow to him. Why? Because he only bows to the one God in heaven. But Haman demanded his allegiance, and since Mordecai wouldn't bow to him, he said, okay, that's it. I'm going to wipe out all your people. Haman convinced the king to destroy all the Jews who would not bow down to Haman and pay him homage and consequently not follow the customs of the kingdom. Now Esther realizes that she's the only one who can save her people. She's in the castle. She has the king's ear, at least an opportunity or possibility. But in order for her to do this, she would have to risk her life to appear before the king. You say, how is that risking your life? Because if anybody came in the presence of the king without being invited, they can be killed. Even his wife, as the queen. She could be banished or killed, even though she's going to go in to talk to the king. So with the wisdom and encouragement of her cousin, who still lived among the Jews and was being threatened by the evil Haman, Esther came to realize that she had been placed in this position for a spiritual reason. It wasn't just because of her. It wasn't just because of a personal benefit because she was beautiful. She came to realize that God put her in this place for a reason. It was Mordecai's cousin, Mordecai, her cousin, who shared this revelation with Esther, encouraging her to not just hide off in the king's palace with a threat against all the other Jews, but to take advantage of her closeness to the king. So Mordecai told this to his cousin in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise 
for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows whether God put you in here for a reason, for a special time. That God's whole plan in making her beautiful. That God's whole plan in having her being chosen of all the females in the kingdom. That God's whole plan was that she would be here at this time, for this moment, for this kingdom purpose. Do you ever feel that's why God has you in your life right now as you're wondering why you're here? That God has called you for such a time as this. And so Esther, after thinking about it for a moment, said, okay, I'm going to go to the king. And I'm going to tell him about Haman's evil plot to destroy all the Jews. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther now prepares dinner for the king and also invites Haman the architect of this impending genocide against her people. Because she's ready to tell the king and ready to spill the beans on him at dinner. And by the grace of God, Esther finds favor with the king and is allowed to approach him. She's allowed to speak. So what do we have? We have an open door that no one else had. God opens this door for her miraculously so now she can come into this opportunity that they've been praying for and deliver this message to save her people. Esther chapter 5, verse 6. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What's your petition? It shall be granted to you. What's your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. You understand, this is not just an open door. This is a golden door. Like it's a blank check. Whatever you, I'll give you half the kingdom. Whatever you want to do, I, I can't make it any easier for you. Just tell me. Esther says, My petition is, My request is, Then she stops. She doesn't get it out. She can't say it. She freezes up. She backs off. She says, my request is for you to have dinner with me again tomorrow. Something happened that caused her to pause in her request for deliverance. The question is, why did she stop? Was this a lost opportunity? Did she fail if God had caused her to be, to be born for such a time as this? Why didn't she just come out and say it? The door was wide open. He was giving her a blank check. I mean, she even began the, the whole sentence with, my petition is, and then she backed off. I want to open your eyes to the workings of God in this situation. If Esther would have finished the sentence at that time, those things in the planning of God would not have occurred in the sequence that God wanted them to occur. And therefore, although she was willing to do the right thing, it was the wrong time. Because you see, after Esther stalls and then asks them to return tomorrow for another dinner, in between that time, a few things happened. 
after she talked and invited him again tomorrow, Haman left the presence, the evil Haman. And as he's out in the street, he runs, Akai, he runs across Mordecai again. You know, the guy that wouldn't bow to him. Who once again refuses to bow to him and pay him homage. Even knowing that there's a date that's been set for them to be killed, and Mordecai says, no, I will not bow to you. So this second meeting with Mordecai really infuriates Haman this time. He's set to be killed sometime in the future, but now he cannot stand him, does not want to live for another minute. So he goes home to his wife in a rage, and his wife says, you don't have to take that. Why don't you put him on the gallows tomorrow? Haman says, that's a great idea. I'm going to put him on the gallows tomorrow and get rid of this guy and solve it once and for all. He will no longer humiliate me. I will show him who's boss. I'm going to execute him tomorrow. But that's not the only thing that happened after Esther backed off her request or seemingly missed this lost opportunity. You see, meanwhile, the king goes to bed. And he can't sleep. He's tossing and he's turning and he tells his servant, go get a boring book off the bookshelf over there and start reading this boring book to me so I can fall asleep. So they bring him a boring book of all the logs and all the things that happened, the daily log documentation. And just by luck, they happened to turn to the page that talked about Mordecai, Esther's cousin who wouldn't bow to Haman. You see, Mordecai had actually saved the king's life earlier when he discovered men who were plotting to kill the king and he let the king know and he saved his life. So as the king is listening to this, because he can't sleep, as he's reflecting on the event, they talk about this thing that what's... And so he says, wow, this guy saved my life, huh? And so the king says... What did we do for this guy that saved my life? And they said, oh, we didn't do nothing for him. We didn't do nothing for that guy that saved your life. And so as chance would have it, as he's wondering, well, this guy saved my life, we did nothing for him. As that's going on, Haman comes in right at that moment, all proud of himself because he thinks he's going to exterminate the Jews. And so the king tells, tells Haman, what do you think I should do, Haman, for somebody who saves the king's life? How can I reward and honor someone who saves the king's life? Well, Haman's all full of himself. And Haman thinks the king is talking about him. So he said, okay, I'm going to tell you what I think you should do. The king never told him it was about Mordecai. So Haman says, I'll tell you what you ought to do for this guy who saved your life, who is very devoted to you and loves you. You should make him number two in the kingdom. That you should make him the heir apparent to the, to the rule. So the king said, wow, that's a great idea, Haman. Why don't you go ahead? We're going to take your idea. Thank you. Go ahead and go get Mordecai so I can put him in that position. And, as, and while you're at it, if you don't mind, I want you to lead his horse throughout the land. And to everyone that comes by, I want you to loudly proclaim that he is second in command. How's that for a turn of events? 
How is that for a reversal of fortunes? You've got to know that God is all over this book. That stuff does not happen. You see, it just so happened that during the pause, when Esther paused. So it just, just so happened that during the pause, which produced that delay, which produced the movement of people, which produced Mordecai's rejection, which produced Haman's angry wife, which produced Haman wanting to kill him now, which produced a sleepless night for the king, which produced a boring book, which produced the name Mordecai to come up, which produced not mentioning his name earlier, which produced him being elevated, which produced Haman having to take him around the streets, which produced God, the puppet master, pulling all things together to bring about his timing. It was not a lost opportunity after all. It was God still had to bring more things together. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. You see, even when you cannot see God moving, He is in the process of working all things together. Even when you think that you blew it, and you think that you missed your opportunity that was gift-wrapped and put in your lap, God does not give up on working all things together. Even when you have given up, God never does. As He continues to work all things together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. And back to the story of Esther. God is not finished there yet. He is still working all things together after Esther's paused request. This was in one day. Remember she invited to come back the next night. All these things happened in one day. So after her paused request, Haman goes home now after leading Mordecai shamedly all over the kingdom and telling everyone how great he is. Now Haman is depressed. He's leading not just Mordecai, but the future king because he's heir apparent to the throne. And he was supposed to be the future king. So now Haman goes home and he just cries out and he starts to mourn with his head covered. And his wife and the wise men around him come up to him and say, Boy, you're in trouble now. You led Mordecai through here, and he's a Jew. This does not look good for you. Esther 6, 14. While they were still talking with him, while his wife and the wise men were still talking with Haman, the king's eunuchs came, those are servants of the king, and they hastened to bring Haman to the banquet with, with Esther, which she had prepared. While his wife was telling him, it doesn't look good. While he was crying with his head covered because it doesn't look good. While the wise men were talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived. And they quickly brought Haman to the banquet in which Esther had prepared. And this is the second banquet. Esther prepared a second banquet because God blocked her from the first one. So he could work all things together in the proper time. 
But you've got to see something here. While his wife was telling him, it doesn't look good, and he's mourning, and the servant comes in and says, come on, I have to get you to hurry up, let's go, we have to, time, we have to get to the banquet. Why is that important that it happened while? Because it didn't give Haman time to come up with a plan. It didn't give him time to run and flee. It didn't give him time to escape. God is, not, is, is going to close the mouth of the enemy, and he will not allow his plans to continue when God is working all things together. He's not going to come in you and, and give you shame and guilt and temptation while God's working all things together if you trust him in the process. God had the thing clicking. And one thing happened right after another so there could be no interjection to change the program of God. He tells the servant, go get him now. All of these things happen because God's got a plan to keep and a program to execute. So he can work all things together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose and his perfect timing. So Haman goes to dinner. And the king says, okay, Esther, what's on your mind? What is it? And she realizes that God had given her this opportunity now. So this time she takes advantage of it. And she begins again and she says in Esther 7, verse 3, she says, it says, The queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, again, she's very humble. She's not entitled. She's very humble for the opportunity to talk. If I have found favor in the sight of, in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me at my petition and my people at my request. Verse 4, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed and to be killed and to be annihilated. Had we just been sold as male and female slaves, I would have just held my tongue although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. Verse 5, So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing to my queen and her people? Guess who's coming to dinner? Who is he? Where is he? Who would presume to do such a thing? What are you talking about? You see, God is not finished until all things are worked together. Don't ever give up on your God. He never gives up on you. Amen? Even when you are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Even when you have lost hope, He still executes His plan. Even when you think you've lost your opportunity, He is working behind the scenes for all who love God and are called according to His purpose. Esther 7, verse 6. Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this wicked man, Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. She said, this man whom I invited to dinner wants to kill me, your wife, and he wants to kill my people. Okay, let's rewind a little bit. Let's reassess what's happened. 
if she would have told the king the first time when Haman wasn't exceedingly mad at Mordecai, when he hadn't readied the gallows for him, when Mordecai had not been elevated to the second in command in the future, the king would have had a totally different mood about the situation. But now Mordecai's relationship to the king has changed. Mordecai's relationship to Esther and the king has changed. In that time, that seemed like a lost opportunity, that seemed like Esther had blown it, that seemed like nothing could happen between those two nights of the banquets, God was moving indeed. Everything had been reconfigured and redone and readjusted to fulfill the timing purposes of God because God was not finished with it yet. Esther 7, verse 7. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. Verse 8. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. He was pleading with her and he just fell over. Was it an accident? Sure, but remember, God's working all things together. He had fallen across the couch where Esther was, and then the king said, Will you also assault the queen while I'm in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. As soon as the king spoke, they covered Haman's face. God did not give the the devil one inch in this matter. Justice was being served Immediately, because God's timing had come. Oh, what a reversal of fortunes. Where hope was sitting on death row, a miracle had changed the sentence. God had worked all things together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His his promises and His purpose. For she was born for such a time as this. Verse 9. Now Harbinah, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, okay, let's hang Haman on those gallows. Verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, and then the king's wrath subsided. The divine judge had brought justice. The Creator of all had created a way where there seemed to be no way. The King of kings and the Lord of lords had redeemed a life from the pit while putting the death to the enemy who had dug his own grave. And this is the same God, the same God that each one of us serves today. This is the same God who was always faithful even though difficult things happen and injustice happens, and we wonder, God, why are you allowing this to continue? This is the same God. You've got to believe He's still working behind the scenes, working all things together. Whatever you are dealing with right now, whatever opportunities you feel that you have lost, whatever seems to be stacked up against you right now, understand that God is in the redeeming business. 
What he needs is for you to trust him. To turn to him. To repent. To confess, God, I'm sorry I gave up. I'm sorry I have negative. I have a critical spirit. I'm sorry, God, that I walked away. I'm sorry, God, that I have not been dependent upon you and upon you alone for redemption. God desires to give you a defining testimony where you proudly proclaim God through it all. Never once did I ever walk alone. Never once did you leave me on my own. God, you are faithful. You are faithful indeed. Would you turn to him now? Would you give him your trust? No matter what your situation looks like, God is right now working all things together for you. Trust him. And be prepared to be used by him to demonstrate his love and his glory and his deliverance, and his hope, and his redemption in the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver truth to hearts that need to hear this. We thank you, God, that you are not finished with us yet. Even even though we make mistakes, even though we seemingly blow the situations at times, we thank you, God, that you never give up. We never walk alone. You are always faithful. Lord God, for people holding on to things right now where they think they thought that they have failed or they missed an opportunity or their time has passed, Lord God, we claim this truth and we hold on to this truth and we claim it for ourselves that you are not finished with us yet, that you still have a purpose for us yet, that you are going to redeem us yet for your glory. Lord God, you see the hearts today I pray, God, that you would teach, touch each one of them and restore us for your glory. In your precious name I pray. Amen.